You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarlane. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bowes. Really excited to be back with you. This is HR Happy Hour Show, shockingly, 277. Done a lot of these, but uh, really excited for today. I believe uh, we've got an incredible guest, I believe, making his HR Happy Hour Show debut, if I'm not mistaken. We'll welcome him in a second, Mr. Josh Burson, waiting in the wings. I had a couple of announcements real quick. Of course, as always, the most important thing, you need to think about HR Tech Conference. Yes, you do. October, Las Vegas. And I just found out, I just learned, if you go to hrtechconference.com and register, I've got a special code for all you listeners, for everyone who's a fan of the show, friend of the show. Use offer code STEVE, S-T-E-V-E, 200. $200 off your HR Tech Conference registration. That'll be good from now until the day we open the show. So uh, check that out for uh, for me, please. Uh, uh, big, big HR Happy Hour Oscars preview show we did last week. Trisha and I did, and I'm super excited about doing the show. It was fun. And if you watch the Oscars and listen to the show, you'll know I was wrong and Trish was right with the big best picture prediction. Well, I was right for 30 seconds, but then <laughs> turns out I was wrong and Trish <laughs> was correct with her prick of moonlight. So she was the big winner of the uh, of the HR Happy Hour Oscars preview show. And actually, the other big winner, oddly enough, ironically enough, could be uh, our our friend uh, Josh and his compatriots at Deloitte after that debacle from our our, our friends at PwC. <laughs> we were, Josh, you don't need to comment on that. Uh, but uh, God. You had one job. All right. You had one job, guy, and you got that wrong. I can't believe it. But um, anyway, super fun show. Great, great, uh, great way to wrap up uh, uh, Oscar season from us on the HR Happy Hour show. And lastly, for me, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all the places. So, all right, enough of my nonsense. Let's get on with the important part of the show. I want to welcome Mr. Josh Burson to the HR Happy Hour, and I'll read Josh's bio for those I'm sure everybody listening to the show knows Josh, but I'll I'll hit through the highlights of it anyway. Josh founded Burson in 2001 to provide research and advisory services focused on corporate learning. He is responsible now for Burson by Deloitte, Deloitte Consulting LLP's long-term strategy and market eminence. Josh is a frequent speaker at industry events and has been quoted on talent management topics in key media, including Harvard Business Review, The Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, BBC Radio, CBS Radio, National Public Radio. He also writes for Forbes.com and has been a columnist since 2007 for Chief Learning Officer Magazine. Josh spent 25 years in product development, product management, marketing and sales of e-learning and other enterprise technologies at companies including DigitalSync, Arista Knowledge Systems, Sybase, and IBM. Josh has a BS in engineering from Cornell University up in my neck of the woods and uh, an MS in engineering from Stanford and an MBA from the Haas School of Business at Cal Berkeley, and now making his HR Happy Hour de- debut, I'm pretty sure, and I hope this credit, Josh, makes it into the bio for next time. Uh, please welcome Josh Burson. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. I can't believe you've done 200 and some odd 
one of these podcasts, and somehow I never managed to get here. That's, so I'm that's very excited to be yeah, able to do this. Yeah, I'm glad, and that's completely my fault. It's only been I, I worked my way through the Rolodex, and yeah, I finally uh, was able to book <laughs> you. But no, but this is big actually, and it, it, it you know, not just because of that Oscars thing, but uh, today was the launch of Deloitte's 2017 Global Human Capital Trends Report, and that's what we really wanted to talk about today. Right. So, uh, and I'm excited about it. I've got it. I did get an advanced copy a couple of days ago, and I've managed to work my way through most of it. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, and hey, Josh, I thought I would lead off with this one instead of the sort of tell us a little bit more about you, and you know, get you know, get the answer. Oh, I like to ski and you know, play bocce or whatever. One question I want, I thought might be interesting to ask you, and, and I hope I'm right on this, is from I've known you for a while, and, and just from going through the bio as well, it seems like you started off kind of as a tech guy, but not not an HR guy, right? Yeah. And uh, you've made that transition, and now you're you know no well known, you know, widely known around the world in HR. But kind of how did that happen? How did you sort of move from tech into you know what you're doing now? Totally by accident. I was. Um... I, you know, I worked for 10 years for IBM and sales and marketing and product stuff, and then I went to work for Sybase for a while, and one of my jobs there was to be the product uh, management leader for their data warehousing at the time. And then around 1998, I went to work for a startup that was building a learning management system, which we didn't even know what to call it. And <laughs> then this funny thing happened. There was this recession and that company, we sold that company to another company. I ended up working for this e-learning company by the name of Digital Think, which was a very successful company. Okay. <clears throat> and I was actually laid off from Digital Think during the 2000 recession and went home and, um, you know, kind of said to my wife, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do next year, <laughs> and went out and started looking for projects to, you know, to keep me busy. And I found that a lot of people wanted help with um, – white papers and case studies and, and research reports, and I ended up writing this research report on blended learning okay. and found out that I kind of like to write, and that was the beginning of what happened, and I've left technology ever since, but the nice thing about it is I'm not intimidated by technology, and I understand it, so so all the technology that, that has affected HR all these years has been you know relatively easy for me to keep up with, so... So that's kind of the story. And at this point, I have to say I I love HR. I I feel just incredible, you know, respect for the HR profession and lucky to be a part of it. To be honest. Hey, Josh, it's thanks great. for yeah, thanks for sharing that story. And it's funny, like there's I, you do hear folks who have similar kinds of stories, right? Coming from a tech background, I came from an accounting and finance background, right? And ended up kind of concentrating mm -hmm. on HR stuff. It, it's interesting how lots of folks in the space sort of take a certain cutest path to uh, where we've arrived now. Um, hey, Josh, we want to talk about the, the, the report, the 2017 Deloitte Global Human Capital Trends Report that was released this morning. Big event in New York City. I apologize for not being there in person. I wanted to get there. Uh, but uh, I'd love for you maybe to tell us a little bit about uh, about the, what the report is, maybe a little bit how it comes together, and then we'll dig into some of the kind of the trends and findings from the, the report after that. Sure. Well, the, the, the report has now become kind of a global phenomenon, and it, it started, and really the reason it, it exists is to help Deloitte as a business understand what the big issues are in the, in the global world of HR and talent and learning and leadership. And um, there's a team of people now that, that do this, and I'm one of the leaders, 
and we we sit around in the fall. We're actually going to have to start working on next year's report before too long, <laughs> and we, we basically think about what is going on out there, <clears throat> and then we do a massive survey to this time we had over 10,000 companies respond, wow. and we asked them to prioritize their challenges and their ish, and their readiness in different areas of, of talent and HR, and including technology and leadership and learning, all sorts of other things. And then we go through the data, and we have a bunch of people analyze it, and then we sit around and try to figure out what's going on and, and frame it up and write about it. And during the writing process, which I do a lot of it, we interview companies and we look for case studies and we talk to vendors and it turns into a 150 page um, compendium of, of the state of talent around the world um, and that's really what it is it's designed to be an educational piece it's not mm -hmm. designed to sell anything there's really nothing about Deloitte in it and right. I love it because this is what I've been doing for a living for 15 or 20 years so it's a really incredible project yeah, and it's fascinating too. Uh, I like the way you you guys put it together with a with a, 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 a diffuse set of, of sources, right? So it's not just the survey responses. It's not just you know interviews. It's not just right. uh, you know it's a combination of things, right? And also sourced from other other works exactly. as well. It's not. It's 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 many sources, and this is really what I've done in our business here is. I mean, there's, you can do surveys and write a report on a survey, and that's, you know, that's sort of like one piece of information, but it doesn't give you the whole context. So, so we use the Burson research. We use the research from this study. We talk to people. We also have uh, one of the parts of it that I've found most interesting is before we write anything, we have a lot of conference calls with Deloitte partners who are talking to clients. So we throw ideas by them, and sometimes they're very controversial discussions about whether a trend is actually a trend or just something that came up in one or two clients or maybe the data is misleading. So I hope that at the end of it, <clears throat> it's meaningful enough that people can really rely on it and really trust it, and that's, that's really been the goal. And, and you have to get multiple sources of information to do that well. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree, and, and, and thoroughly and endnoted and sourced and everything else. It's It's really... Right. Uh, it's really well done. Of course. Well, believe me, Deloitte is very careful about sources. We don't get to say things that don't have a source yes. around here, so it's all got sources. No yeah. fake news here, right? Absolutely. So <laughs> this is, as you said, it's a massive undertaking, a massive project, lots of folks working on it, 150-odd page report. Uh, you know, as I read through it, uh, I, I, you know, you identify 10 major human capital trends that are all examined in detail in the report, and it's it's fascinating reading. But and so we don't have time to break down all 10 of those uh, today. But uh, I just picked out a couple that I thought were really interesting, and, and maybe we can kind of run sure. through a couple of the things I, I I pulled out, and you can comment on them a little bit, and I'll follow up as well. So the first one was kind of the big the big one. Number the, you let off the trend call you call it the organization of the future arriving now, right? Talking about just right. changes in how or, uh, companies have to organize to to meet rapidly changing technologies and, and service uh, delivery challenges and customer challenges. I'd love for you to comment about a little bit a little bit about that. What do you, what do we really mean by the organization sure. of the future, and how is it how is it different? Well, in some ways, this is the whole report is really you know that that companies you know organ the reason companies exist the reason we even have companies is that. We believed many years ago, many economists, that if we got together as a group, we could scale and reduce costs and, and operate more efficiently than operating as independents. Right. And so the reason big companies like you know automobile companies and steel companies and all the industrial businesses in the 1950s and 40s and 30s, 
They were scale companies. They were designed for scale. Well, it turns out today, and so we have hierarchies, and we have functional or, people are organized by function, and there's management from the top, and there's management by objective, and there's financial targets, and so forth. All of that is being disrupted by the digital nature of business. Mm -hmm. And what companies are realizing now is that the actual way to operate is not in a hierarchy, but as a network of teams. And so the most effective companies today, the ones that are disrupting the traditional organizations, are moving much, much faster. They're innovating. They're experimenting. They're closer to their customers. People feel more empowered. People are working in multiple teams or not only in one team. And so almost every artifact of HR that we use is becoming out of date. Even the idea of a job description, when you operate in a team, in a network of teams, your job description doesn't always describe what you do. You might have skills and capabilities in one area, and you might be loaning them to three or four projects at the same time. You might spend you know, six months or nine months working on something, and then you'll go work on something else. And we have to redesign the reward systems and the leadership programs and, and the performance management practices to facilitate a much, much more dynamic structure Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was it was originally called, I mean, there were these kind of funny ideas like holacracy, getting rid of management. <laughs> right. it, it isn't getting rid of management, but it's creating a, a team-centric project orientation to companies that is absolutely working. And, and the reason we called it arriving now is that it is here. I mean, one of the things we found in this research is that um, more than 80%, almost 89% of the companies responded said they are in the process of redesigning their organization to be more agile and to be more nimble. So the rules are being written, and we tried to characterize exactly what they are. And I would say one of the benefits that we have writing this is this is the way Deloitte works. Okay. Deloitte has no org chart. It would never make – it would not work because it would be out of date the minute it was created. And But people thrive here, and they – and they perform based on their skills and capability. Reputation makes a big difference in a company like this. Connections makes a big difference. Culture, transparency, sharing of information, um, learning how to be a leader that creates followership, not necessarily positional leadership. Um, there's many, many aspects of organizations that are being um, reinvented as part of this. So, so I think in some ways it's the, it's the biggest story of business in the, over the next couple of years is how do you rewire your company to be this organization of the future. And the, the best phrase I have for it is that we are a network of teams. Right. Companies are a network of teams. And that, and that kind of sums it up. Yeah, and I think some of this, and it's really interesting, some of it, I think, comes from uh, the shifts in the economy as well, at least in, in maybe some of the more developed companies countries where you're moving from or you have moved from these heavy, you know, capital intensive manufacturing inventory based kinds of industries that were dominant for, for, for a long, long time into service based uh, industries, technology based in industries. I know I've seen a stat somewhere that like there's never been um, a lower amount of inventory like tied up in the, right. the, the most the most valuable companies in terms of market capitalization. Like you look at a, a Google right. or a Facebook or a Deloitte for that matter, right? You don't have a lot of inventory, right? Sitting around in a warehouse waiting to ship where 
if that was your business, it really did matter that you, you scaled up. As you said, you were built for scale and built for efficiency and built for really, really, you know, squeezing every last nickel out of a given process, right, um, in order to drive profitability. Now it's changed so much. The problem, the problem with that approach is trying to squeeze every nickel out of a process. Of course, everybody wants to do that. There's no question that's an important thing to do. But if that takes you down a path of not learning and iterating fast enough, somebody else may have already right. figured out how to do what you do. And it, maybe it's a 20-person company and disrupts you. While you're going down the, the cost reduction curve, they've out-innovated you. So, right. so we've moved from a model of what, what I call, you know, in fact, John Hagel, one of the directors here, calls it from scalable um, industrial efficiency to scalable learning. The faster you learn, the faster you iterate, the faster you innovate, the more successful you are in this economy. I'm not saying you don't need to reduce costs. Everybody needs to reduce costs all the time, but but that's not enough. Um, and the other thing that's affected this is that roughly 85% of the U.S. stock market value is based on intangible value, software, IP, patents, creativity, things that are human in nature. So you don't you don't become successful just because you have a big manufacturing plant right. and you can put a lot of parts through it. A year or two from now, nobody wants those parts anymore. They want different parts. <laughs> right. and if you can't right. adapt quickly, I mean, like one of the most fascinating companies we've studied is this company in 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 um, called Lee 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 and Hong Lee and Fung rather. That's a manufacturing company that outsources its design and manufacturing to hundreds and hundreds of apparel manufacturers, and they are an enormous company that is rapidly innovating and iterating on. Um, consumer products in the apparel industry so fast that nobody can keep up with them. Mm -hmm. And their head of operations is a learning guy. He really focuses on learning and iteration and, and agility. And pretty much every industry is being affected by that and needs to think about their business that way. Yeah, Josh, I, we could go on on this forever. I mean, I, I even thought about uh, something I wrote about a couple of years ago, which is I think the, the company Vizio makes TVs and displays and such. And I remember their story was interesting because they don't really they don't really employ anybody, right? Everything that they do is done through a network of outsourced arrangements and contractors, and they have the you know. So we was looking at right. like a revenue per employee metric for them, which you can't even look at because they don't directly employ anyone, right? And um, uh, just fascinating <laughs> uh, story, but uh, yeah. Hey, just a quick reset. This is the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bose. We're talking to Josh Burson from Burson by Deloitte. We're talking about Deloitte's 2017 Global Human Capital Trends Report that was just released this morning. I'll have a link up before you can get to the report. It's free right on the Deloitte's website. There'll be a link in the show notes as well for folks who I strongly encourage everybody listening to the show to, to download and read the report, spend some time with it this week, this weekend, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what you can do with the report as well. Hey, Josh, there's so many things in this report that are so interesting to me. I wanted to talk about a couple more. I wanted to jump to uh, one of the trends you guys identified. We've been talking about it a little bit at HR Tech as well, which is called, you call it the employee experience, cultural engagement mm -hmm. and beyond. And I know this term's getting kicked around a lot in the last year or so. And I just want to, you know, get your point of view on how is this idea of the employee experience different and maybe more important than just talking about employee engagement or employee satisfaction, which have been concepts that have been around for a long time. Yeah, I, I think the employee engagement market is is dying. I, I honestly think that concept needs to be buried and put away. Um, because the the way the engagement industry was created, and you know, it was a great industry for a while was a bunch of companies built normative databases 
and standard benchmarking surveys that were offered once a year. And you would, you know, you would survey your employees once a year. You would spend three months analyzing the data. You would compare yourself to the benchmarks and say, oh, look, we went up 2% this year. Aren't we happy? Now let's go back to what we were doing before. And that really isn't very useful. In fact, I'd say it's almost not useful at all anymore. What really matters is how do employees feel and what is it like to work in your company every day? And for each different job role and different transition and different um, journey within the company, it's different. It's like how we analyze customers. We try to uh, analyze the entire customer experience with our products. We want to know what it was like to buy the product, to open it, to use it, when it broke, what was customer service like. So we need to take that approach to the employee experience, which gets you far beyond an annual survey, to a much more active listening strategy of things like pulse surveys. Only uh, 20, 22% of the people we surveyed this year said they are now doing pulse surveys more than once a year to understand what's on the minds of people. But it goes well beyond that. It's also understanding the critical employee journeys and where they fail and where there are problems. Like right. one of the banks we surveyed and interviewed found, you know, did an analysis of this and said, look, our, our most critical employee journey journey that, that we have the most problems with is the first year um, associate in the branch. We have a very high turnover rate. We have a tremendous amount of training. There's a lot of theft and fraud that can happen that first year. We don't always select the right people. So we're going to study and really use design thinking to recraft and redesign the employee experience for the first year in the branches. And that resulted in not only interviewing a whole bunch of people and learning about what that's like, but creating a series of tools and apps and training, training programs that, that move from place to place, from month to month, quarter to quarter, during your first year. And as they rolled that out, they said, well, now we know so much more about this job, we can change our recruiting and our candidate experience so we can attract the right people that will fit into this experience. Another company I talked to that started using a much more active surveying system found out that they had a lot of operational problems in their restaurants that employees were complaining about, but nobody was doing anything about because they, they weren't really empowering managers to change them. So they ended up reorganizing the roles in the restaurants as a result of the okay. uh, survey and listening program. So anyway, it's, it's much, much bigger than engagement surveys. <clears throat> and I have nothing against the engagement industry. It's a great industry. But I think it's kind of, it's kind of over. I think that approach is, is coming to an end. Yeah, Josh, I think I think makes a lot of sense. And I think this, some of this ties back into the, the first thing we talked about, which you kind of mentioned as kind of the overall message of the report or, or the larger you know takeaways about about agility and um, iterating. Right. And, and, and uh, right. Which is a big part Wait, of design thinking. You want to know what's going on at any time in your company. In some, now, you need an analytics team to assess, to look at all this data and make sense of it. Um, nothing, nothing's worse than surveying a bunch of people and then doing nothing with the information. That, that certainly doesn't help. But, so you have to be prepared for this. But I think it's going to be like Yelp. We're going to be yelping things at work, and someone's going to have to be listening. And it affects engagement. It affects retention. It affects performance. It affects employment brand. Um, it affects all sorts of things, operational things. And, and this is a, new, a new, whole new world of HR for HR. Yeah, and there's a lot of echoes, and in, in, in you, you guys wrote about this some in the report for sure, and I think there's more to come on this. There's a lot of elements here. You mentioned um, 
in the report, things like branding, things like net promoter score, potentially, right, as, as an opportunity for right. HR to – things that, things we're taking from the marketing world maybe a little bit to, to apply in HR. It's almost a complete copy of marketing. I mean, really, <laughs> everything we're learning about employee experience is what's been going on in marketing the last decade, is getting into the – whole process of understanding end-to-end customer experience. It's not that different, actually. Many of the principles are exactly the same. Segmenting customers, looking at their journeys, using things like Net Promoter Score to assess customer experiences, exactly the same kind of thinking. Yeah, we had a couple weeks ago, uh, we had the woman at General Electric who was responsible for uh, global employment brand and, and recruitment marketing for GE and that's all we talked about, right? She, her whole background was marketing, right? Uh, court, you know, uh, big company marketing, right? And then she came to now do this uh, this role at GE to be marketing uh, GE as an employment destination, right? And it's it was really um, so true. Hey, Josh, one last thing, and I know you're super busy with the launch today, and I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your busy day to join us today. I wanted to tease out one more of the, of the ten trends you identify. In the in the global human capital trends report, and because it's, it's it's timely and it's interesting to me, and again, we'll be doing more about this at HR Tech this year, which is diversity and inclusion. Uh, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it came out as one of the one of the trends in the report. Uh, it's been in the news so much this week, right? Everybody's read about what's going on at Uber. I just read this morning. Uh, someone from a female engineer from Tesla has gone public with some of her issues with yeah. that company. So, I mean, it's so timely and it's so important. Um, I, I'd love maybe you to share a couple of the things, maybe a couple of the findings from the from the survey or from some of the um, interviews that you did and some of the work that Deloitte's doing around diversity inclusion and, and really why. I mean, I guess I don't have to ask this. Why is it so important? But why does it seem more important now than in the past? Well, you know, you're right, Steve. I mean, it is a very public issue um, for a whole bunch of reasons, including political reasons. And um, what we did when we did the survey, you know, we we always test these things with the survey data. The the importance went up by 50% from two years ago. So the respondents are very, very concerned about it. And when we looked at the data and the research we had done on diversity and inclusion, what we found is what we call a business reality gap. There's a perception in companies that they're really good at this, and the reality is they're not. (laughs) Um, 71% of companies tell us that they are good and they're leaders in diversity and inclusion, but when we actually look at their practices, it's only 11%. Um, So there's a lot of wishful thinking going on in this topic. And the other thing that we learned, as you read about in the report, is that it isn't a problem that can be solved by training. We, There is a certain nature of bias that's inherent in our you know, behavior as human beings. And one of the ways to fix it is to create business processes, use software and cognitive tools, and create reward systems amongst leaders, business leaders, not HR people. Right that encourage them and almost force them to be more inclusive. You know, if you grew up in a family and that was, you know, all men doing certain things and women doing different things, you know, you're going to naturally sort of think that way. So you have to force people in some ways to behave differently. The example that we use in the report that I think is a great one, and this is, and this has to be owned by business leaders, not by HR. HR can steward the process, but it, but can't own it. Um, you know, Mark, Mark Benioff, the CEO of SuccessFactors, talked at our partner conference and said that they had identified an 11% gender pay 
inequity at Salesforce, where right. women were making at the same level, same job, same tenure, were making 11% less than men. And he said, one, after I validated the data, I changed that, I pro- solved that problem immediately. I gave all of those women an 11% raise. That's an indication of a business leader that is taking this seriously and doing something about it. Um, so I think, um, and I think the pressure is on. I mean, the data is out there. People are writing stories about it. Um, and, and the other thing I would say about diversity, we have done study after study after study, and there's one included in the report that proves that highly diverse teams and inclusive teams outperform right. non-diverse teams, especially if you think about the first trend, about the networked organization. In a networked organization, if you don't feel comfortable speaking up, if you don't believe people will listen to you, if you don't feel that you're credible, you will not participate or contribute effectively to the network. And so inclusion is one of the critical you know, dimensions of a high-performing networked organization. And so we have to, in many ways, force business leaders to take this on. And some of the things in the tech industry are fascinating. You know, we have tools from success factors that can identify bias in the language of job descriptors. Right. We have, you know, software from, you know, HireVue that can look at interviews and identify things relative to bias in recruiting. I mean, there's just amazing cognitive tools that are going to make this easier. Yeah. So. As much as, it, as it's a little bit of a controversial topic, we really felt we had to write it up and really kind of hold people accountable in the, in the data. And I think the data is pretty compelling that almost every company could be doing better at this. Yeah, Josh, this is so important a topic to me too and, 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 and to any really organization, any HR leader. And it, it, it's just getting – I mean it's good. It's good that it's getting more attention and I le- really like the way – you're sort of shedding more light on it and saying, hey, it's not just a training issue, right? Because there's a lot of other things at play beyond just simply... Well, no, and I think it's... A, and one of the things I've learned about it is in some ways the training is an excuse. I mean, you can say, oh, well, we did gender... You know, we did unconscious bias training. We've done our job. No, that's not enough. You have yeah. to hold people accountable, measure what's going on, and, um, you know, make take action on it. And and those might be slightly uncomfortable things to do in companies, but they pay off. They pay off in employment brand. They pay off in, impl- in performance. Uh, they pay off in culture. Yeah. So um, that's the reason we decided we, we needed to put it in here. Yeah, it's it's tremendously important. I'm glad you guys did, and I'm glad we're going to continue the conversation around it. You know, We will here on this show this year. We'll do it at a at, at tech conference uh, that I'm involved with and, and in other places as well, and it, it's it's critically important. Hey, hey, Josh, I mean, there's so much here. And again, we're talking with Josh Burson from Burson by Deloitte about Deloitte's 2017 Global Human Capital Trends Report. Link will be in the show notes as well, or you can just Google Deloitte Human Capital Trends 2017. It'll take you right to it. Um, Last thing I like to ask, I wanted to ask you, since you've been doing this a long time and writing research and writing these kinds of reports and been involved in it, what are your what's your piece of advice for an HR leader or business leader who, you know, accesses the report this week or over the weekend starts to read it, starts to take in some of the information there? It's a big, big report. How do they maybe sort of get started with uh, with this kind of information and maybe how do they start to begin to make it a little bit more actionable for them and their organization? What are a couple sure. of pieces of advice you could give? Well, I, th- I think there's two. <clears throat> the first is if you have an HR offsite, which most companies have at least once a year, and you have a planning session to plan for, like I was in a meeting you know, yesterday called HR 2020 for a company, um, take this kind of report with you and take a few hours as a management team looking at these 10 issues 
and give yourself a roadmap is what you're going to do. Because these, we call them rules because they are rules. These aren't just trends and good ideas. These are things that we're pretty convinced if you don't do them, you will be sorry. So, so that's number one. Mm-hmm. The second is if you're an individual HR leader or a practitioner, I think you look through the 10 of these and you say, you know what, here's one that we need to do now. Here's something we're working on that we know is an issue. We know the business cares about it. We know the business leaders care about it. And this will help me decide, A, what to do, and B, it'll shine a light on it, as you said, and and make more priority. I mean, I think one of the ways people use our research is to build a business case. Right. So, you know, if if you in your gut know that the company should be doing something, but you can't get everybody to get on the same page, show them the report. Let them read what we found. We didn't make this stuff up. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's real. And, and so we're not, we're not you know, just trying to push HR departments to do certain things because we think it's fun. These are, this is real trends, and so I think use it as a change agent to get yourself organized and prioritize what's most important. Yeah, and as we talked about earlier, if you're not doing these things, right, if you're not moving in this direction, your competitors likely are or will soon, right, and and – it's going to probably get worse for you. That's right. A lot of these are a lot of these are, are, are success factors, you know, of high performing companies. Yeah. And so they're not just HR things. They're business they're business rules too. Right. And it's not just like I said, it's not just an academic exercise. It's it's grounded in real things that are really happening. Right by uh, organizations right. that are succeeding. So hey, Josh, th- this has been so interesting to me. This again, Glo- Deloitte's Global Human Capital Trends Report 2017, absolutely. Highest recommendation for me, download, read, share, bring, as Josh said, bring to your team, talk about it at your offsite. Great, great data, great information. Um, so great job, Josh and team. Just uh, fantastic. Thank you, Steve. And I want to thank you, too, for all that you do for the industry, because I know you're like me. You're out there trying to help everybody do their job better, and, and I really awesome. appreciate you. I appreciate, I appreciate that, Josh. And I do appreciate that. Anything else we want to mention? Anything else uh, you want to mention where you're going to be or events or just, just go read the report? Is that <laughs> is that it? I'm all over the place. I'm going to <laughs> conferences all the time. But I'm available on email and Twitter and the phone. You know, I mean, I... I can't do my job without talking to all the people that listen to your radio show. Sure. So, so anybody that listens to this and wants to know more about this, please reach out to me. Uh, I will try to talk to you personally or, or over the phone. Um, you know, I think my role in the HR you know profession is to be a pattern matcher and to help people see the future a little bit. And so, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to everyone. Um, I would say one more thing is I, I do think there's a change of identity of HR. It's discussed in the report. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that comes out of all these rules is that HR has to focus much more significantly on workforce productivity, not just you know soft issues like engagement. And, and you'll see that as we read through it, and, and I won't take you through the whole mm-hmm. you know logic, but, but there is an identity change happening in the HR profession, and I, I hope I can help you understand that. I think it will be a very positive thing for all of us. Yeah, and I think thanks so. Thanks again, Steve. No, my pleasure, Josh. Thanks so much for joining us. Finally making your debut on the HR Happy Hour Show. We won't, <laughs> let's not make it another 277 episodes to have okay, you back. Great. Let's just do that. So, thanks so much, Josh. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, uh, for checking out the show. Of course, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all the places, HR Happy Hour Show. We're here. We're here for you. Okay, so uh, thanks so much. Tell a friend, share the show, share the information in the Deloitte report. It's fantastic. And so uh, I hope you guys check it out uh, as well. So that's it for me. Thanks so much from the HR Happy Hour show. We will see you next time. Bye for now. 
Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.